This morning, I want to pick up a little bit on where I left off in Hebrews the last time I preached. I read something toward the end of my sermon last time that I really didn't get into that I would like to get into today. And and providentially, I want to try to pick up on and add my amen to Philip's sermon from last week and Paul's lesson from Wednesday night. And I want to do that by speaking to you today about the greatest gathering in the world, the gathering of God's people in worship. Thomas Watson, Puritan Thomas Watson, he noted the importance of this gathering when he said this, Walk with them that are holy. He that walketh with the wise shall be wise. Be among the spices and you will smell of them. Association begets assimilation. Nothing has a greater power to affect holiness than the communion of saints. Be often among the godly. They are the salt of the earth and will help to season you. Their counsel may direct, their prayers may enliven you. Such holy sparks may be thrown into your breast as may kindle devotion in you. It is good to be among the saints to learn the trade of godliness. Another well-known man that we respect, John Bunyan, said this in giving us some insight into the importance of the gathered church. He said, church fellowship, when it is healthy and productive, is the glory of the world. No place, no community, no fellowship is decorated and spangled with such beauties as the church is when it is rightly knit together with their head each lovingly serving one another. Church, I really pray that those words from those two prestigious men will bring forth an amen in our hearts today as we hear those things. Because the gathered people of God, God's people gathered together in worship, is like no other gathering on the planet. This is unique. And it's unique primarily because here we are, forgiven sinners, gathered together To declare God's praise humbly. And then on top of that privilege, we get to hear God speak and have ears to hear God speak today. And that is beyond measure greater than anything that any other gathering is experiencing outside of the gathered church. So today, right now, what we are doing should be amazing to you. Because here's what's happening. You are now in God's presence in a very special way that God has ordained. This is a holy convocation. Listen to how the prophet Isaiah emphasized how important it is that we understand what's going on here when we are in God's presence and humbled by his word. He says this in Isaiah 57:15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of contrite and a lowly spirit. Here's why. To revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite. Saints, I believe that's what God intends for this gathering to produce in us. When we understand we are in God's very presence here in this holy convocation, our our souls are humbled and our souls are revived when we understand what's going on here. I think that's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to emphasize further in the text that we were looking at last time. In Hebrews 10, 12 to 25, you can go there with me because here I think what we're going to find is that God is reminding us through this text to, to understand that he, is, he has ordained some great blessings for us as his gathered people. 
He has given us three blessed reasons for why we even gather together often with God's people in worship. Let's look there, beginning in verse, verse 12, and when we read down to verse 25, our, our time is going to be mainly spent by looking at verses 19 to 22, and to, to 25 rather. But I want us to start here in context, because it speaks to us about who it is we are gathering to worship and why we can gather to worship today in this holy convocation. He says this in verse 12, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, in my last message, I spoke about Christ alone as our great high priest who brings us within the veil to brings us to God's throne of grace. But one of the things we, we often forget to think about is, what's the, the practical aspect of this? Why is, why is God giving this, this revelation of what's going to happen in eternity? What's going to happen to us forever because of Christ? Why does that change the way we live here practically now on the earth? And here I think we see that start to unfold. The, the let us statements there toward the end of this passage, 22, 23, 24, those all flow out of understanding the, the theology of who our great high priest is and what he's accomplished. Now, I've, I've, heard, this, I've heard this passage preached in, in many ways, and I've heard this passage preached a lot of times to manipulate congregants to be in attendance at church every Sunday. That's not the way it was written. That's not why it was written like this. What he's saying in these last few statements is, if you know Jesus... You want to meet with his people and you want to glorify him in the way you work and live together. That's what he's saying. Don't neglect this. This is so great. It's so great a salvation. It doesn't just affect us for eternity. It changes us here on earth. That's going on all in this text. And I want to look here at 19 to 22 to begin with because here's where I believe God is telling us the first reason that he is going to bless his people when we gather together corporately is this. In, in Hebrews 10, 19 to 22, he tells us that we should gather together often because God will bless us with greater faith. That's what we're going to see in this. He's going to give us greater faith when we gather together to do one specific thing, to exalt Jesus' accomplishments and do it with great joy as forgiven sinners. That is what's going on in 10, 19 to 22. Look at the text with me again. 
therefore. Why is that therefore there, right? Well, what he just said about the one who's offered this perfect sacrifice for us. Because of Jesus, brothers, since we now have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by this new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. In other words, now that we see what Jesus has done to make us acceptable in God's sight, let us draw near. Let us, let us come and do it with great joy. Let us draw near with a true heart, knowing that Jesus' accomplishment has brought us sinners into God's very presence. And this should be a joyful act of worship. And this is a blessing that God gives to us. He's saying, look, you are forgiven. And that means now you get to do something that you could never do before. Now, I know I'm re- reiterating what I said in my last sermon, but listen, this is important for us to get. Do you understand that this is God's blessing on your life as a Christian? You're able to now draw near to a holy God without fear of rejection and condemnation. You do that by faith in his son. By looking to Jesus, you can have absolute assurance. Your your faith is bolstered. It's increased. You can come before God with confidence in Jesus. He makes it possible for me, a forgiven sinner, to now come before a holy God. I think this is supposed to produce joyful confidence in the Christian. We're we're confident in Jesus, absolutely, but that confidence in Jesus should make its way down into our heart. And when we come before God in worship, in in a holy gathering like this, we should have joy overflowing in our hearts, for Jesus is worthy of that. His work has accomplished something none of our works could even come near accomplishing. Let verse 19 kind of sink in. Look at it. It's saying to us, you, a forgiven sinner, can enter the holy place. And how do you go into that holy place? By or through the blood of Jesus. So now we're we're coming into God's presence. And what we're doing is exalting the work of Christ. We're joyfully praising God for the gift of his son that makes sinners acceptable in his sight. That is a blessed promise and security to us here. It tells us we we have confidence to enter this place that no sinner will ever deserve to be apart from Jesus. And I know I I mentioned it a lot last time, but I hope that today you're still amazed by this reality, this glorious promise and blessing from God. And if you are amazed by that revelation that we can come into God's presence, is, is your faith now being strengthened? Are you more confident in Jesus today than you were two weeks ago when I preached that message? I hope you are. I hope your soul is encouraged once we reflect on this message again here in this text. This is a promise to us. And it's a promise that's in particularly given here in this context to those who gather together in worship. The church. The body of Christ. And so how does our joyful confidence affect the way we gather together as the body of Christ? Well, I think it should transform everything that we do in this gathering. It should certainly transform the way in which we sing praises to God. It should transform the way we receive the word of God proclaimed. It's God speaking. And we are privileged to respond in singing. 
That's what we're doing when you sing. You're offering up thanksgiving to the one who has addressed you through his son in his word to give you access to the throne of God. We can now, just just think about this, we can now, as forgiven sinners, we can enter into God's holy presence due to Christ's blood, right? But not just be merely accepted in his presence, but embrace, loved by God himself because of Jesus. And that even affects the way in which we sing as Christians. It should. When we gather together to sing God's praise, here's what's going on. I hope you understand this. I hope this isn't too pedantic. I hope it's not just remedial. But I hope you get this and it sinks in. When we gather together to sing God's praises in this congregation, we are coming into God's presence. Our voices are entering into a place that no sinner's voice dares go apart from Christ. Our songs of praise are being heard by God. Our voices are entering into the very presence of Almighty, Holy God. Do you think about that when you sing? Or do you just try to keep up with the the lines on the screen here? You You are given this privilege to sing and bring offerings of praise to God whenever we gather together and we are able to express what God has done for us in Christ with song. What a divine privilege we've been given. I mean, think about who's around the throne singing right now that we know of for certain. There are holy angels whose job has apparently been from creation to throughout eternity to sing holy, holy, holy. Our voices are up there echoing with them when we sing praises to God as his people. Now, I know it doesn't always sink in because you're probably a lot like me. And you're probably sitting here this morning just like you are every Sunday morning. Like me, considering, wow, I am a forgiven sinner, but I'm certainly a sinner. I know that I'm still battling with sin. I know I'm still battling with temptation. And I don't really feel worthy to come before God in singing. Sometimes we even have this thought in our mind that it would be better off that if I'm in some kind of struggle with sin, I just don't come in to this congregation and sing praises to God, because that would be hypocrisy. Listen, saints, Jesus has atoned for your sins. You come out of thanksgiving, not because of perfection. You look to Christ for that. You come because you've been given access to God's ear through Jesus, even in your failings. You come with praise for his forgiveness and his grace. That forgiveness and grace was purchased by the blood of Christ. So you and I as Christians should have joyful confidence when we come into this congregation to sing. No matter what we've struggled with throughout the week, this song opportunity is an opportunity to declare, I need God's ongoing care for me, and he will hear me when I cry for help at the throne of grace. We know that we know that will happen. We know that's secure. That's our assurance because Jesus' blood has already covered our sins. Jesus has cloaked us with his righteousness. That is the very reason why we as forgiven sinners can come into God's court with an offering of praise. And it will always be pleasing to the Father because of the work of the Son who covers us. Now in Hebrews 10.20, we see how this was made possible. How we can actually have access even in our song to God's ear. He's going to tell us here in verse 20 the very reason we can joyfully enter into God's holy presence. And he's going to tell us here that it's because someone has preceded us. 
We come by faith in the one who is this new and living way that's been opened for us, right? We, it says, verse 20, by the new and living way that he, Jesus, opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. That's how we come. We come by faith in what Jesus has done. He is the perennially fresh way in which we always come into God's presence. He is the forever God-man. I mentioned that last time, the Theanthropos. He is there in the flesh, God the Son, our advocate, our intercessor, our mediator, making a fresh sacrifice through his very presence in our place, that we are always going to be freshly accepted by God because of him is what it's saying. What he's saying is this, the way to God, access to God, the way has been opened when you trusted in what Jesus did on the cross and you exalt his accomplishments. You should do that because when Jesus went before us to the cross, rose in glory on the third day, he didn't just open the door to heaven a little bit. He didn't just crack it open so we could take a peek inside from this side of glory and go, man, I hope I can have access one day. That's not what he did at all. No, he busted open the door. He made the way open. He un- we have unhindered access to God through Jesus Christ. That's your blessing from God when you come here on Sunday morning to sing God's praise. Let that sink in. That should bring joy to our hearts. That's why we sing Listen, not all of us can sing. I can't sing. I mean, I couldn't sing to save my life. But I want to sing the praises of my God and King. I want to exalt Jesus with every bit of my being. And listen, singing, generally speaking, when you sing and you're happy, it's because there's something meditating in your heart that brings joy to your life. And you kind of bust out and sing. And listen, I sing in the car with my kid. He does not enjoy it. but I enjoy it. Because I'm expressing the joy of my heart, right? And, and it's just something that, it's something that we want to do as believers. We want every bit of our being to glorify God. And the song of our heart should come out of our mouth. God, God doesn't just want us to have our minds renewed. He wants our being to be renewed. All of us. He, he doesn't. Just revive the heart so that we can know theological truth. He revives the heart so we will draw nearer to him with thanksgiving and praise, exalting the work of Christ. And listen, in this gathering, you get to do it in a very particular way. Look around. You're gathered here with many examples, many testimonies to the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are trophies of his grace. And you're allowed to come together in this gathering with one voice and sing his praises. This is astounding to me. There is no other place like the gathered church. This is God's creation. This is God's glorified church. This is what we are meant to do when we gather, is to sing his praise, to sing the praise of Christ's great work and his intercession. It's what verse 21 goes on to say. We, we covered this a little bit last time, but it says we have a great high priest over the house of God, the, the oikos of God, the, the family of God. We have a great high priest. Listen, you're not individual priests. You're a priesthood of believers and a priesthood works together. You're brought together to serve the living God through Christ, our great high priest. 
We, as his gathered people, the house of God, we have a great high priest. And that's why we can draw near to God now. We can draw near, as he says there in verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That means this. All of you who have trusted in Jesus' atoning work on your behalf, you have had your heart sprinkled clean. You don't have to do anything to earn God's favor or presence when you gather here together with the saints. You have already been justified. You've been declared righteous in Christ by God's grace through what Jesus did. Jesus did something that's so beyond our imagination. Listen, Paul in Romans talks about, I'm just going to, butcher it if I try to quote it, but I'll paraphrase. It says that, you know, we might die for a good man, right? But Jesus died for you and me who were his enemy. He became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. That's who we're coming together to worship. And we have been made clean by his work. That is a divine gift from God to us that we should rejoice in as we gather together. And that revelation should continually amaze us until we see him face to face. When we gather here weekly, it is God's intention, I think, to revive that joy in us, that joyful confidence. He he wants to revive us by this great blessing that, look, you, all of you who believe in Christ, you've been made clean and righteous in God's sight. You've been brought together in this body together for eternity. You're here as his family You're Christ's body. You think about that. You're his bride. He wants you to come with joy, joyful confidence in what he's accomplished to bring you to this place to worship his holy name. That's the first blessing that we see in 19 to 22. The next is in verse 23. Secondly, in 1023, the writer of Hebrews tells us that we should gather often because God will bless us with renewed hope greater faith renewed hope when we gather to renew our minds faithfully as god's redeemed people look what it says let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering it's 23a let us hold fast the confession of our faith who who's the us here well it's the redeemed the forgiven sinners it's god's redeemed it's the house of god it's his people who are centered on the great high priest's work, giving praise to him, coming into his presence because of Jesus, we should hold fast the confession of our hope. Now, the phraseology here in the the book of Hebrews, Hebrews is the highest form of Greek that we find in the New Testament, okay? Very technical book. But I'll just make it as simple as I can because I'm simple to begin with, but... Basically, when he says, let us hold fast, what he's saying is, let us commit our minds to the confession of our hope in Jesus and do so without any wavering, without doubting. Well, how does one do that? How how do you hold fast the confession of your faith? How do you do that particularly here when you gather together corporately as the body of Christ? Well, one way we do it, not only individually, but corporately is by simply renewing our minds by recalling God's promises to us from his word, and we do it here through the preaching of that word. See, our hope, our assurance of drawing near to God is based on his promises. 
And those promises are to be declared to God's people to renew that hope, revive that hope, help you to hold fast to that hope. That's the whole point. That's why we preach. Listen, nobody stands up here to preach because it's fun. All right. It's not always fun. We stand up here to preach because God is worthy of praise and we expect to see change. I actually expect that the word of God preached will change God's people practically. I believe there'll be sanctification that takes place. I believe there'll be joy and encouragement that takes place. I believe there'll be rebuke and correction that takes place. Because the Spirit is blessing God's ordained means of renewing our hope, which is the preaching of God's word. We are renewed when that happens. I don't, you know, Paul mentioned some of this in the equipping hour, and I thought it was really good. There are many people gathering at buildings this morning. Not all are gathering as biblical churches. They're not all faithfully gathering to preach the word. They're coming to hear stories, pep talks, how-to ideas, but they're not coming to hear the word of promise proclaimed. Caruso, declared from the top of your voice. Listen, it's so important that we understand that this gathering together is not a social event. This is a holy convocation. We are in God's presence, hearing him speak through his word. Because when the word of God is accurately preached, God is speaking to you corporately. He's speaking to us individually, certainly. But I hope you understand that in the body of Christ, what happens to you personally affects us corporately. He is speaking to us, his people, through this ordained means, which is preaching. It's foolish to the world, but for you it's, I pray, encouraging. That's how you learn, though, to hold fast the confession of your hope without wavering. Now, the phrase, let us hold fast, this is an interesting phrase. Like I said, it, basically, if I could break it down further, it'd be like this. Let us nail down or maintain our hope. Well, how in this context? Well, I think in the context, he's talking about the gathered people of God. We know from the book of Acts, chapter 2, there was a process in which they went through when they gathered. They would hear the apostles' doctrine taught. So we maintain our hope or nail down our hope in this context of Hebrews through the constant hearing of God's word proclaimed. And here's why I think that. This is my own idea and my own thought here, but I think it's, it's applicable and I think it's helpful for me anyway. Preaching is the hammer that God uses to drive the nail of hope down deep in his people's souls. Preaching is the hammer that God uses to drive down the nail of hope, down in our hearts. When the writer of Hebrews uses the word confession, we often get, I think, thrown off by that there in verse 23. But really, another way to say it is this. He's referring to the profession of what you've placed your faith in. Here, namely, it's the work of Christ as revealed in God's word of promise, which is the gospel, which you hear week in and week out in this church. Praise be to God for that. I am very thankful to God for that. I'm thankful to God that here, week in and week out, Wednesday night, equipping our small groups, Sunday morning preaching, we hear the gospel proclaimed faithfully. That is a blessing from God Almighty. I grew up in places where that was not the case. I speak to friends that are in places like that that is not the case. My fellow pastors are faithful to preach the gospel in season and out. Paul had to do that Wednesday night. And it was a blessing. I didn't get to hear it all, but it was certainly a blessing from those that heard it. Here's, here's what's important here. The word, the word that's being preached to you week in and week out, this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. 
you want to hold fast to the hope that you have in Christ, this assurance you have about Christ's work that brings you access to God. This is how it's going to happen. You are holding fast to this hope because the word continually pours over your ears and into your heart. And that word is faithfully pointing out to you the saving and sanctifying work of the Lord Jesus, who didn't just get you forgiven, but brought you into God's presence forever in eternity. You are given full access at regeneration to God's throne forever. What a divine privilege that is for us. That it all comes back to being reminded here on earth as we get dusty and dirty from all this around us, that we have been secured by Christ. He has secured us for eternity, and he is continually sanctifying us through his Spirit's work as the word is proclaimed. So when we gather, often, as it says, under God-ordained preaching and teaching, here's what happens. Our hope in Jesus is renewed. It's renewed in many ways, but in particular, it's renewed when we are under that kind of preaching because we hear under that preaching are reminded to confess that we who are once foul and rejected due to our sins, we are now accepted by God because Jesus was condemned in our place and his blood has washed us and made us clean before God for eternity. I don't think it's a stretch to try to remember your sinful condition before you were born again. I think uh, I could probably wager to say that you still battle with some of those sins. But is the thought of your sin hanging over your mind all the time more than the thought of what Christ has done to pay for your sin? That needs to be preeminent. What did Jesus do? He is greater than your sin. His work has made you acceptable and loved by God for eternity. Our confidence and confession of that blessed reality, I think, is punched home here a little further in verse 23b when he says, He who promised is faithful. Well, aren't you glad that access to God's throne and have the ability to hold fast to any kind of truth that you hear from his word? Aren't you glad that that's going to happen because God has promised through our great high priest to impart that to us? That's our hope. And here's why it's our hope. All of God's promises to us, we find their yes and amen in Jesus. Jesus has made this all possible. My only desire this morning is to exalt the name of Christ, and to do that, I want to edify your souls by looking to Christ. That's my goal. God's promises are confirmed every time we hear the word proclaimed in this weekly gathering. That is astounding to think about. This is where God is chosen. Think about this. This is where God is chosen to speak to you individually and corporately as his body. He has chosen to speak to you here, and in doing so, he is reminding you of his promises on a continual basis through the preaching and teaching of his word, as well as the personal edification of the saints. Paul hit on this again this morning in the equipping hour. This is what God has ordained for this gathering, but what happens in this gathering should affect you individually when you go out of here through your personal edification of the saints through discipleship. So God has chosen to speak to you here, remind you of his promises through this preaching and teaching ministry he's ordained so that you would then take it and apply it in a personal way in your lives individually as you go out to minister to others. That's what 24 and 25 leads us to think on this morning. 24 and 25, thirdly, tell us that we should gather often because God will bless us with Christ's own love. Not just greater faith, 
Not just hope, but Christ's own love when we gather together to cultivate encouragement personally. This church is blessed with three elders. I'm thankful for my co-elders. They bless me in many ways. Church is not huge, but it's large enough. I think we have 65, 66 members, other attendees. Um, I would like to think that Paul and Justin and I could encourage each one of you individually, but that's probably a dream. That's when we need you. We need you to cultivate encouragement personally. I think that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Because of who Jesus is, what he's allowed you to do, what he's done for you, cultivate personal encouragement. That's on you. That's your, your call. That's your privilege. That's your, your blessing from God. Look at 10, 24, and 25. He's going to tell us how this should happen there in these two verses. And let us consider. All right, first, let me just stop there for a second. Too much of Christianity forgets that phrase or that word, consider. In other words, they don't think. They don't think. Too many people don't think about what they're called to do in relation to what God has already done for us in Christ. Let us consider, let us think about how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So I think this means that when we gather together to exalt Jesus' work and, and confess our faith in God's word, this is what should happen. This should be the fruit of what happens, what takes place in our lives as his body. We should see the, the fruit of Jesus' work and the fruit of God's word change the way we live among each other, how we encourage each other. Let us consider how, how to <laughs> stir up. I, I like the literal meaning here. Stir up means to prod with a sharp stick. That's what it means, okay? Basically, when a guy tries to back up out of his commitment, you take that stick and you poke him in the back and he has to go forward no matter what, right? Let us consider how to stimulate. That's another way to put it. Stimulate love and good deeds and encouragement. That's what he's saying. He's saying, look, based on all that God has done to bless you in Christ, let us think of ways to stir up or stimulate one another toward good works out of the love that we have for Jesus and for the praise of God's name. This is the practical aspect of the theology of Christ's incarnate work at the cross. This is what is supposed to manifest on earth. This holy gathering is designed by God. Listen, is designed by God to be basically the forge where biblical encouragement and Christ-like love is fashioned and welded together as a testimony to God's power here in the world. That's what this gathering is about. That's who you are. You're, you're God's testimony to the world by the way in which you take the truth and apply it to our fellowship here and each other's lives. You're going to be a testimony of praise to God. Whether the world accepts that or not, they will see it in us. They will know us because we have love one for another. That's to be the testimony of the church in the world. Look at Ephesians with me. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3, beginning in verse 14. Here Paul's going to tell us that this gathering of God's people is where God has ordained that his love would be personally cultivated and made manifest to the world around us. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, 
that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Here's why. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled or controlled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory where? In the church and in Christ Jesus. How long? Throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That's what's happening here. That is to be our testimony. That is what drives us to stir up one another on to good works and love and encouragement. Listen, this is not a legalistic text. There is a command here. But it's a command that comes out of this great truth about what Jesus has done for us. As a result of that, let us, let us reflect that. Let us display that. How? By caring for one another. By pushing each other to go forward for the glory of God when times are hard, when it's difficult. We need to learn this. Look at verse 25 again. We need to learn this because he says you shouldn't neglect it, right? Don't, don't, don't get into this bad habit. Don't miss out on this opportunity to be a part of the reflection of God on earth, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. He's telling us how we are to personally encourage each other in the body of Christ. And how does he say we should do that? Consistently, faithfully, urgently. That's what he's saying. This is how you exercise this Ability here. You do this faithfully. You come together constantly. You should want to care for your brothers and sisters so much that when you have opportunity to gather with them to encourage these things, you seek every opportunity. We're to do that with urgency, I think, here. Because he says, do that because the day of Christ's return is drawing near. There's urgency in that. There's urgency. That's why God is using that kind of phraseology here, talking about how often we should meet together. This is, again, not to guilt you into coming to church. You have an urgent call by God who blessed you in Christ Jesus to come and meet with the saints and encourage their souls. Because Jesus is coming. We need to be ready. We need to be active. We need to be serving one another and glorifying God on the earth. The day of Christ's return draws near. What do we know about that day? Well, there's a lot of things we know about the day as far as the end goes, the telos. But between now and the very end, we know that all those who desire to live godly in Christ in this dark and depraved world, they're going to eventually and increasingly be persecuted and abandoned by this world. That's already happened if you've been any kind of witness for Christ in this world at this time. That could be discouraging news if you were alone in this world. But you're not alone as a believer in this world. You are united together in Christ. You are part of Jesus' body on earth. You're part of his bride's body on earth. You are connected to him for eternity and to one another for eternity. That's why we should gather together often. And that's why we want to gather together often. We want this. 
The true Christian wants this and, and knows that they need this gathering. We need one another. This, this is where we learn how to biblically strengthen one another. That's why we come here. We come here to be equipped. Why do we call it the equipping hour? To equip us to serve one another, to glorify God in the world. We know that we need to be strengthened because this world will drain us very quickly. We need to be strengthened by one another so we don't grow weary in this world. So we don't grow weary in the fight against sin and the darkness of this world. I was just telling somebody before the service, I was, man, my fire stick quit last night. All right. So I had no Amazon. It was just terrible. It was a sanctifying moment. And I had to go back to the regular antenna TV, which I haven't looked at in, quite frankly, years. And I was disgusted by the darkness of this world that's promoted in commercials in one particular channel in on, on regular TV, a channel that promoted what God says is an abomination, but accessible to children now. So we need each other so we don't grow weary in that kind of darkness. Here in this congregation, in this gathering, we don't just come together to strengthen each other. We come together to learn how to love each other personally, sacrificially, the way Jesus loved us. And why do we do that? So that basically we will stand out in this world. We're not going to be like the rest of the world around us. We're unique in that. We're actually concerned about other people who aren't going to always do something in return for us. But we want to do for them. It's greater to give than receive. We're going to stand out when we do that. We're going to stand out as children of light in this dark and depraved world around us. That's all part of why God's telling us here that he wants our personal encouragement and Christ's love to increase as the day draws near. That phraseology there is speaking of the return of Jesus, clearly. Because God, God knows something we don't know apart from his revelation. We don't know this fully, but we know what he's revealed to us. But he knows that as the day of Christ draws near, difficulty in this world for Christians will increase. Therefore, we must be united in Christ's love. We must be ready to stand firm in the truth, equipped. God's warned us that that day is coming. We don't know how it'll all work out. We don't know all the details, but he says it's coming. I'll give you warnings about it. I'll prepare you for it. But you need to gather together for battle together as my people. And here's where you do it in this gathering, in this holy convocation. Look at Jude, Jude 17. There's a warning here about the days leading to Christ's return. 17 to 21. Jude writes this, that you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions Worldly people devoid of the spirit, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Building yourself up in the most holy faith. That's doctrine. Praying through the spirit, keeping yourselves. How do you keep yourselves? Well, you stay in the word. You're bathed in the word. Because he's telling us, you better be ready because the the enemy is out there. The enemy doesn't always look like Islam either. It looks a whole lot more like those false teachers that creep into the church throughout the book of Corinthians. Angels of light. 
There's an answer for them as well in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy rather, and a warning to us here. 2 Timothy 4, this is why we gather. God has ordained this place to be a place of preparation for us. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, enduring suffering. Do the work of evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So God knows that difficult days are coming before Christ returns, but he's prepared us for that. And the place in which he wants us to be most prepared is here in his congregation, his church. These dark days that are obviously prophesied by Paul and Jude, they're not just future things. They're present situations. These dark days are upon us. We have these situations already happening all around us. But God doesn't want us to be discouraged by that. So as we face these great and difficult days, we have something greater to look forward to. We have the day of Christ's return. That is meant to help us not have fear about these great and difficult times that we will endure. We don't fear because God's promised a blessing to us. I've given you the church, the bride of Christ, this holy gathering. Why have I given it to you? To strengthen you when you're weak. To renew your hope. To strengthen your faith in what I've promised in Christ. To reveal his love through your interaction with one another as the body of Christ. That's God's blessed promise to us that was purchased and secured by the blood of Christ. That's what Hebrews 10 is talking about when he says, let us gather together. This is why. Now let me give you one more blessing that's outside of Hebrews this morning that I think would be important for us. One more blessing that is promised to Christ's bride by Christ himself. And that blessing is found in Matthew Matthew 5, verse 14. Listen to this God-blessed promise here. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that... They may see your good works and do what? Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Since here in that that little section, that little passage, here's what we have. We have an assurance from Jesus himself, the exalted Lord of glory, Jesus our Savior. And he's saying to us here that if, if we faithfully exalt him, his work, we faithfully confess his word, stand firm in the truth, And we faithfully live out that word with hope and love in the congregation of his people. Our church will never be overcome by the darkness around us. But instead, we will be a city on a hill. And we will be a light that cannot be extinguished. And let me just say this pastorally to you this morning. Sovereign Grace, I really believe that you are that city. And you are that light here in Ada. And I think that's, that's why in my own heart, and I know Paul's heart, and Justin as well, that's why when we, we pray, when we think about gathering together to preach the word to you, we pray that as we gather together often, 
Here's what happens. Your faith grows. Your hope is secure. And your love for Christ is made manifest and will continue to do so increasingly all the more until the day Jesus returns. That's our desire. That is why we gather. This is what our great high priest has granted to us and the blessing we receive through him from the Father. So let's give thanks for that this morning and then pray that we put it all into application. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for this time and the way in which you've spoken to us through the book of Hebrews. We pray that you would uh, take the, the truths and the blessings that we learned today and weld them to our hearts and weld us together in Christ's love so that we would glorify your name on the earth as your people and sing your praise, not just with our songs, but with our lives and declare your great worth as your gathered congregation, your people, your bride, your body. Pray that we would never bring shame to your name, that we would always exalt you. Even when we struggle, we pray that we would confess that We are secure in Christ and change by your grace so that you would be praised for any evidence of sanctification that is made manifest in us. We thank you for all these things today in Jesus' name. Amen.